Before we do, we're going to talk about Mandy on today's episode. It's Travis and Mike. There's no Eric. It's just the two of us. Just the two of us. You and I. I. Yeah. It takes two to make a thing go right. Yeah. There's a couple songs about two. It takes two, baby. Those are the main two. We should be singing King Crimson, though. I mean, that would be more apropos for Mandy. Oh, yes. Of course. We are doing Mandy. That'll be the focus of today's show. Cinnamon I'm Pod at Gmail. Dot com. Mm, dot uh, com. Me and Travis are going to talk about Mandy here shortly. Uh, we had a nice time at our annual feast where we saw each other, which is our yearly retreat amongst friends of many decades now. And that was nice. We were going to do Mandy there, but then, of course, classic Saturday, we're like, yeah, we're getting lazy. We're not going to do this. <laughs> yeah, we didn't want, like setting up the microphones, taking <laughs> notes, getting all serious about shit. We were in vacation mode. Uh, yes. It seemed like a good idea when I brought it up on the show, but it's like as soon as Saturday rolled around, I was like, uh, we're, not, we're not doing that. Come on. Well, the good news is we all <laughs> felt the same way. So it was like we're yeah. on the same page. So I could live with that. Sure. But uh, it yeah. was nice to be together, the three of us. We even got a picture. It's out there somewhere. We did. Yeah, it was great. We had a good time. Perfect. Thanks for, uh, you know, everybody. Everybody who contributed to that feast. Two thumbs up to you people. Uh, today, you know. Quarantine viewing picks or something we do. I'd like to see what you've been watching. Anything you could recommend for me, Travis? You know, um, most of the stuff I watched this week, I, I watched with you, or at least at the feast. <laughs> we had a nice double header on Saturday morning. Got up real early with Chris with Chris Adiri and Jess Peak, and we watched Microwave Massacre from 1979. The second time <sighs> in less than a month. I missed that one for me. Uh, I knew it was a good feast movie, and that was followed up with Street Trash, which yeah. I tried to show last year, and there wasn't a lot of interest. But this year, there was plenty of interest, and it turned out to be 
the most wildly offensive movie I've ever seen. Really? Um, can you? I mean, without getting into spoilers, because everyone needs to see this movie. Yeah. On their own. I jumped but, in on I mean, it. I've never seen like what's on film. That movie makes Blood Diner look like fucking Schindler's List. It's <laughs> out there, man. It's out there. I jumped in, so maybe I missed some of the more offensive parts. Uh, it certainly was an off the wall affair and i definitely yeah. recommend uh sitting around watching it with a few friends maybe have a few laughs and also be like just just in real time wow is this what we're watching <laughs> this, this is happening yeah. yeah i tried watching it alone a while ago and i was like this is i gotta do this with a crew of people this is not an alone movie mission um, accomplished yeah and then of course we watched the classic roadhouse like we do every feast miss of course and um and then yeah i guess that's what really all we watched this year it was like michigan versus MSU, so it was like there was like football stuff going on too. So we didn't you were really into that. I mean, I couldn't believe oh. the passion you brought to the table. Foaming at the mouth about the sports. <laughs> That's me. Really into the <laughs> sports. Sports contest. <sighs> anyway, um, so I, yeah, I've actually only watched. It's weird. I only watched two like Halloweeny kind of movies or other movies besides Mandy. Um, which uh, was Ghostbusters, this film from 1984. You may have heard of it. Mm. Um, every The older I get, the more of a dick Peter Venkman becomes to me. Just like, this is the guy we're rooting for? This is the fucking guy? <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's becoming a, like, apparently I'm going to watch it every Halloween since I first seen it. I didn't really realize it until I was watching Murder Party from 2007, uh, Jeremy Saulnier's first film. Uh, I've watched that, like, every Halloween since it came out. And I just enjoy the fuck out of that really short Totally student film, but it's a funny dark comedy. Uh, Blue Ruin, Green Room guy. Yeah, same guy. It's his first movie. Oh. Not nearly as serious as his later stuff. It's like <laughs> it's, pretty, it's pretty goofy, but it's fun. Excellent. Yeah. What about you? Ah, uh, that would be me. That's, that's uh, you, sir. I uh, was. I watched some of those movies. Uh, also, there was a movie thrown on I'd never seen from '94 at the feast. Uh, that was that French movie, uh, Cemetery Man. Yeah, that was. Oh, that must have been after I fell asleep or something. That movie's not great. No, it's horrendous. <laughs> yeah. Lots of necrophilia going on there. More more than is necessary for any film. <laughs> really bizarre. It's so <laughs> funny to watch movies like that when you're in a house with 15 other people and it's on the screen and you're all like, we're watching this right now and some really wild ass shit happens. It's hard to ignore and it's hard to not. <laughs> Even laugh about it at times because it's so ridiculous. So, yeah. But uh, no, nah, I wouldn't recommend Cemetery Man. I don't think I would. Uh, no. I was hoping Eric would be on this show. Oh, hi, Yoshi. We uh, all were. He was. I mean, I know he would because I finally, I finished Ironweed. I told him at the feast that I shut off Ironweed from 1987 with Jack Nicholson and Meryl Streep after about 40 minutes a couple years ago on the show. In fact, somewhere there's an episode in the Cinema 9 pod feed where I said those Almost yeah. exact words, probably. I remember. But I finished it this time, and I'm really glad I did. It's an excellent film. It's just not a fun watch, of course, because it uh -huh. really represents homelessness from a more complicated viewpoint. It's not just like, I lost this job, I'm out of my ass. It's all kinds of other factors going on, and this movie does a really good job of expressing and kind of highlighting why and how it is that people are homeless. So, of course, it's like older homelessness, but I don't think yeah. homelessness has changed. Well, it's changed a little bit, I guess, with like cell phones and stuff where you could contact people. But 
I just really thought it was a good movie. Right on. You know, and also while we're talking about Eric and how we wish that he was here, I, I did want to bring up that while we, while we were watching Street Trash at the feast, my favorite part of it was the repeated looks that he would give me. He just kept on giving me this look like this. How could you do this to us face? <laughs> I thought we were friends. Why are you making me watch this face? It was uh, it made me laugh harder than anything in the movie. <laughs> That's fantastic. I am not surprised to hear that. He, he can be a. Uh... He can be very expressive with his face, Eric Kent, those that have never met him. He's an emoter, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I also went back and watched Defive Bloods from 2020 because, you know, it came out and I watched it when it came out and I enjoyed it and I wanted to watch it again. And I liked it even more this time. It's a really good film, man. I still am so, I don't really get on my high horse about these types of things, but it is just baffling to me how Delroy Lindo didn't win an Academy Award for his performance. It is so incredible. He is, I mean, all factors, expressing PTSD verbally, physically, uh, memories, and real life coming together with yeah. twisted and complex interpersonal relationships. It's just, he's so fucking good in that movie. I really feel like yeah, that Rob. was a shame. Yeah. Yeah, Rob. I mean, I remember thinking that he was going to be a shoe in when I saw yes. that. I'm like, I don't think he even got nominated that year. I, I don't remember. I don't, I, think, I don't he think he did. Yeah, I don't think he did. It's it really bothers me. You know, it talk about a guy who has paid his dues and shit too. He's been around. He's had a distinguished career, yeah. and then he gives a performance like that. I gotta feel like I don't know Delroy Lindo, but he, I wouldn't blame him if he was kind of bitter about it because he crushed it. It's such a good job. Yeah, great, great, great movie. Great performance from Delroy. So good. So, yeah, go back and watch The Five Bloods if you missed it. It's still on Netflix, I assume, in perpetuity. Uh, definitely something to take a look at. And then eh, I watched uh, one more I'll offer, but I'm not going to recommend. Uh, 1999's Pushing Tin with John Cusack and Billy Bob Thornton. Kate Blanchett, before she was more of a bigger star, she's in this. And Angelina Jolie. And it's a. I was thinking about this, Travis. It's directed by Mike Newell. Now, this guy, Mike Newell, is just kind of weird to me. He's been a director at the helm of a lot of films over a very long career here, but I never really hear people talk about, like, oh, Mike Newell, he's so good, man. Like, I got to catch Mike Newell's latest offering. I'm not sure why that is, but he's just kind of a guy who's there, you know? Maybe because he makes movies like Pushing Tin that are just kind of there, <laughs> taking up space on the VHS shelf at Blockbuster in 1997. <laughs> Gosh, I hadn't uh, I hadn't thought about it like that. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's not great. It isn't. You, know, you got an excellent cast here. A lot of fun, extra, uh, well cast character actors are in the mix, but it's yeah, not great. So don't watch it. Yeah. All right, so that's quarantine viewing picks. Cinema iPod at gmail.com. Five star review. We love all that stuff. Subscribe everywhere. You know how all this stuff works. We don't need to explain it to you. But me and Travis now are going to focus our vision our memories our thoughts our analysis our energy energy. yes right yes our uh our crazy evil our pinkish hueish (laughs) reddish hueish throughout a film energy on mandy yeah when our fog machine at mandy (laughs) that one's for you eric (laughs) yeah eric was so excited to talk about the fog machine on this movie It, it was a lot of fog machine but uh yeah so i had seen part of this film at the feast a couple of years ago yeah 2019 and i didn't know anything about it and i remember just kind of like checking in and out seeing weird clips 
here and there, crazy Nick Cage or just really intense violence. And I, I was just kind of baffled. There's dong, of course, some dong in there. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I never watched it all the way through. But you picked this movie because... Because it's it's Halloween. We're we're at, we're literally dropping this episode on Halloween. We're recording Yay! it on Devil's Night, um, and it's one of my favorite movies. I, I sit here in my Mandy T-shirt. Um, I have here the uh, painting or the uh, the picture that Eric drew for me of Nick Cave. Uh, oh wow! Me, Nick Cage covered in, in blood for Mandy. I have a box here of Devane's Cheddar Goblins macaroni and cheese. <laughs> <laughs> I have Goblin an, good. Array, an array of Funko Pops devoted to the movie behind me, multiple ones. Oh, um, so I'm, 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 I feel like that about Mandy. I love Mandy, and it's. I was really happy to actually like. I kind of, I knew I was going to go in like loving the movie, but I was happy to sit down with a fine tooth comb and just kind of like really dive deep and and get analytical with it. Which now Eric's not here and I'm half asleep, but I'm still ready to fucking <laughs> do it. <laughs> That's fair. I mean, it's got to be a different vibe and a new perspective for you to look at it through a critical lens. So I'm glad you can have that perspective and this opportunity right here on Cinema Night. Uh, I wonder, IMDb rating-wise, this movie is not one I heard of, but that doesn't mean it's not popular. Uh, it's a complex movie in a way to understand as a first-time viewer. I think that's fair to say. But uh, I'm going to yeah. say this probably... It seems like it's got Nick Cage. People love Nick Cage. Even Andrea Riseborough's in this, so she's mm -hmm. somewhat off. He got nominated for to Leslie recently. I'm going to say it's a, like a seven one. Yeah, I'm going to say in the early mid sevens. I'll I'll just jump a little higher. Say seven three. Oh, six point five. You fucking idiots. <laughs> uh, Eighty six thousand ratings, which is okay, but. It is rising in popularity right now because it is Halloween, just in case you're yeah. wondering. Over on Rotten Tomatoes, the movie directed by, uh, what is it, uh, Cosmatos? Panos Cosmatos. Panos Cosmatos. Cosmatosos? Cosmatosis? I feel like there was a movie he did that just came out over the last year that you guys talked about were a little disappointed or something. He did. Uh, well, I was a little disappointed. Eric liked it. It was an episode of the Guillermo del Toro um, Cabinet. Oh, okay. Which I felt like was good, but looked a lot like Mandy. And um, <laughs> I was like, you need to start branching out a little bit. <laughs> uh, tell that to Martin Scorsese. Uh, Mandy. Hey. It's a 91 from the critics. Ooh, That's a very... Loved it. Yeah, critics love this. I mean, how do you... What do you call this? I mean... It's an art piece. It's an elevated horror. I mean, I don't know what you call it. It's it's a uh, 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 meditation uh, and color on film. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's, the, <laughs> it's its own fucking thing. It's not like most movies, let alone most horror movies. Yeah. Uh, damn right about that. Like fantasy aspects in this, of course. Yeah. Uh, 67 from the audience, so lower again, slightly higher than the 6.5 on IMDb, but still good enough to be a delicious buttered bucket of popcorn. All right. Critical reviews we got. Now, this is a more recent film of 2018, so a lot of people who are current who can chime in, such as... Uh, I don't know a lot of these people. Wow, okay. Um, Take them anyway. Who are they? Just say them. Let's okay. try... 
Emily Black from Cinema Crazed. All right. On April 11th, 2020, she said, Mandy is a mostly fun movie, but while the character and relationship building is good, it feels like it takes a bit too much time and leaves too little time to the mayhem. It is a two-hour movie, and about an hour in, a little after, like an hour and ten minutes in, Mandy, you know, obviously this is a spoiler podcast, so turn this <laughs> off if you've never seen Mandy. Uh, but like an hour and 10 minutes in is when Mandy dies. And then there's about 10, 20 minutes of him kind of like freaking out and getting his shit together. And then the rest is just full carnage. And I guess some people, you know, who I assume are really bad at sex, um, just really want it to be like immediately just, oh, give me the climax. Give me the big fucking moment and have that be the whole movie. But to me, uh, like Mandy works in part because of its slow burn. Yeah, it's definitely a slow burn. And you get a classic uh, cage freaking out in the bathroom doing cage stuff. Um, Very I'll authentic, though. Like, just like my, I just watched my wife burn to death, and uh, I'm, I'm jumping off the fucking wagon and, and guzzling this jug of vodka that I've been hiding and, uh, and just going to scream here in my underwear. <laughs> also i was i wasn't sure she was dead i kept feeling like as a first time viewer that there was going to be a, a misdirection here or like a uh a bait and switch if you will but i guess she really did die um since she's in the sleeping bag when she's burned to death it, it kind of i mean i don't know that i want to watch a human being burn alive um so i'm kind of like grateful that she's in the sleeping bag but it also kind of obfuscates what's going on but you know he goes up to her bones the next morning and it's like her literally her skull is there so she's dead yeah yeah she's dead uh, but i was i was thinking you know they were trying to pull a fast yeah. one on me i know how these yeah. these wily rascals are uh how about patrick bromley from f this movie it's oh. it's so good not mandy just f this movie period i guess that's for every film yeah, <laughs> it's so good to see Nicolas Cage back in a film that rewards his bold approach to acting because Mandy is bold and uncompromising, too. You know, this could be stated as a movie that kind of I feel like there was another, you know, Nick Cage had many lives as an actor over his career. And I feel like Mandy was the prelude or maybe the starting point for the current cage gasm that kind of took over America over the last five years. 100 percent this was this was the beginning of the cage essence of of people being like oh shit right like he's actually a good actor and doing good work and he was doing great stuff before this like um like uh port of call new orleans the the bad lieutenant bad lieutenant too he's he was doing some really great stuff that people maybe weren't watching as much but he was kind of you know he was in the wilderness for a little while he was like out in the desert making these fucking you know, rated four on IMDb kind of <laughs> films, which I've seen most of them, almost all of them, and a lot of them are crap. But um, this was when he kind of he did this and he did Color Out of Space, I think, the same year, and uh, it was just kind of off to the races again. After that, he did Pig shortly after, mm -hmm. and it's just like, okay, oh yeah, he, this this guy's a living legend. We need to be giving him the best roles possible. Yeah, okay, that checks out for sure. Uh, let's see, trying to find, I mean, we got a lot of overwhelmingly positive reviews. Uh, Matt Hudson from What I Watched Tonight in October of 2018 said, had Nicolas Cage not been in Mandy, this would have been cast aside without a second, third, or thousandth thought. 
I, I mean, the cinematography alone, the, the, the color schemes, like, what do you want? I mean, I, Nicolas Cage is incredible in this film and he does make the movie, but I can't pretend that if he wasn't in it, that it would suck. It would still be an interesting piece. Yeah. You know, I'm not the Nick Cage file, but he's obviously got that presence that is unique, not to mm. all actors either. And right. I do think that this movie has so much more going on in it and it presents itself with so many more elements that someone else could have been in this movie and it's still, it might not change it too much. I don't, I don't think so. So I kind of disagree with what he's saying there. Yeah, I do too. I mean, as much as I think Nicolas Cage is like the greatest living actor, I do think that there's other people that could have handled this work. Uh, Hannah Strong of Little White Lies said, dreamy, destructive, unfailingly compelling. She just, it doesn't fail in its ability to compel you. It can't, according <laughs> to her. Job. Great job. Uh, all right. So obviously critics. Oh, Kurt Loader. Let's just get Kurt Loader real quick. Oh, I didn't know. Of course. He, oh, oh, Kurt. <laughs> Kurt Loader from Reason Online. That's the publication okay. he's was working for in 2018. Available on demand, but you definitely want to see it on a big screen and loud. Thanks, that Kurt. Nice. That would have been nice. I wish I had. You didn't get that someday. chance. Oh. I'm sure it'll be back in theaters. You know, it's that kind of movie. I'll see it in theaters someday. All right. So this movie has Andrea Riseborough in it. And she mm -hmm. is really only in, what, the first half hour, roughly? Maybe 40? Hour and 10. Oh, it's an hour and 10 before she's gone? Huh. Yeah, she's in there for a good half of the movie. I, I don't know what the hell is going on with all the the prelude stuff with just her and Nick Cage her talking about the books she loved and like these stories. I, I was completely lost on that aspect. I didn't know what the hell was going on. I don't think that they're, yeah. I mean, I've watched this movie. I don't know. This was like the 10th time, probably fifth, somewhere between the fifth and 10th time I've seen it. And I have not quite gathered what's up with the, um, especially like, like she has that whole, um, voiceovers where she's talking about like she's reading from the book talking about like ripping the the eye of the dragon out there's yeah it's like the whole big scene for that like i don't know what's going on with that stuff there's other stuff happening in the prelude that i think makes a lot of sense her coming along the the dead fawn in the forest and just like shedding a tear like okay she's a soft person you know like that that kind of stuff you get stuff you learn about this character and you learn about the life and i like that panos does this thing where he's mostly showing and not telling i always like that in movies you kind of like Again, like with Nicholas Kate with well with Red, the character Red, his um his being on the wagon, uh, you know, of, of like not drinking anymore. It's it's pretty subtle the way it's presented in the film, but it's not it's not like you can't pick up on it either. There's that kind of stuff happening throughout. Yeah, I didn't pick on it at all. I I thought he might have been slamming some type of strange bathroom concoction of mouthwash, even. I did, uh, okay, it's <laughs> vodka. That makes sense that it's vodka now. But again, I'm a first yeah, time. He gets in the helicopter right at the beginning of the movie, and the, the guy offers him a beer, and he turns it, and he turns it That's down right. right away. That's right. And then it cuts to her, and she's smoking a bowl, like a wooden bowl, like a classic seventies, eighties bowl. But like, and I, th that's the contrast we're constantly getting between Red and Mandy. Like she, like there's this beautiful scene where he's on the shore and like uh, has started a fire. She's still out in the water, and it's just like, oh, fire and water. This is not very subtle, but that's just kind of like the way that she works in his life. She is this calming like giving you know uh but don't, i don't want to say maternal but like uh, more like base more fundamental and like earth-like than that you know just like this she like nurses him back to health in a way 
Hmm. And um, and then so when she's gone, that's when he's like, he goes full sadist and and enjoys himself in revenge. <laughs> okay, so yeah, that early part, I'm I'm trying to like gather what's going on here. I don't want to be spoon fed either, mm-hmm. uh, but I also during the first. 30, 35 minutes. I'm just kind of like, okay, what's going on here? I, I was kind of, it was kind of losing me. It didn't hold my interest as much. I, I wanted to understand what was going on, but at the same time, I just felt like I, I couldn't quite put it together. And, you know, as a first time viewer, that's going to happen because a movie yeah. like this, you got it. This is a movie, in my opinion, without even going any further right now, you should watch at least twice because there's so much to take in. There's just no way you're going to get it all in the first viewing. That's 100% right. And I felt the same way about the first half of the film. The first few times I watched it, kind of like, okay, this is dragging and I'm bored. (laughs) And I don't feel like that by this point. I feel I'm pretty drawn in by it more now than I was before because I literally get more out of the movie every time I watch it. Uh, Because it is the kind of movie you could sit down and go over with a fine-tooth comb. Or it's the kind of movie that, like the year that uh, we skipped the feast, we had the fest because you weren't there. Um, we had the uh, we 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 went camping and we just someone brought a TV and we just like stuck the TV in this tree and just drunk bunch of drunk dudes around a campfire like half paying attention to Mandy and that's like one way you could watch the movie or like like you were describing earlier like walking in and out of the room and being like oh what a wild entertaining movie it's just great visuals or you can really get into the mythology of it because there's so much going on yeah that's fair uh i don't so i i was like surprised to see old man bill duke popping in there that was fun (laughs) i think he died he's dead now um i believe he passed since this i want to say yeah it was Uh, in the last year or two for sure Um, but bill duke just love seeing his presence. I don't know what his relationship is to Red, but you just get this classic movie scene where the guy wants to load up on weapons. You know, the ammo guy. The the guy who's got the whole rack of weapons galore. And that's what you know Bill Duke's role is there. Come into my trailer and you think he's going to say one thing, but he says different things. Like when he responds about using his arrows, he wants to make sure that you use them all the way. And I was like, oh, okay. So you're fucking with me here. This is fun. I appreciate that. And he's alive and well, by the way. Oh, he's shit! Alive and Bill well, Duke. doing just fine. We love um, to report premature deaths on this show, apparently. So. <laughs> We've done it before. <laughs> <laughs> well, so that gets into, like, there's this whole, like, relic thing happening throughout the movie. It's really obvious whenever um, Jeremiah is dealing with a relic, he's got the horn of whatever the fuck, the thing that the guy blows into to get the bikers to come, and he's got the, like, I guess it's like the blade that pierced the side of Jesus that he stabs uh, red with because everything turns flashing green in like strobes green on these items, whenever he takes them out. But red has his own relics as well. And like he has the crossbow, which he has, which has a name. I forget what he calls it, but it's got like a name. Even he refers to it by, then we have like these very specific shafts are, are built you know, like only two of them. You know, and one of them does take out one of the psycho bikers and he create, you know, he like <laughs> just a quick little aside in the movie. I, I got to like smithy, uh, you know, I got to like blacksmith together for oh, yeah. the, this weird axe sword thing. You know, he, there's that, that kind of stuff going on throughout the movie, which I just love that so much. It just it makes it so rich. Yeah, it does. The reason I bring up the Bill Duke scene is it's really the only time in the movie where you kind of get like a layout of 
what might actually be happening if you're trying to look at it from a I don't know, a more realistic point of view about how these yeah. people that are you know LSD hallucinogens things have gone bad out of control but at the same time the rest of the film is trying to in my view express this mystic magical fantastical point of view about these people but they also set it in 1983 I don't I don't understand that either why does it have to be set in 83 is there a purpose to that you know um, well, there is because there's two things that are being constantly referenced throughout this movie. And um, I think it helps to have a little bit of a knowledge of American history, which you, of course, do. Um, one being the satanic panic is kind of being referenced throughout um, pretty subtly. You know, he, he's driving around listening to Reagan, turns that shit off. <laughs> you know, that kind <laughs> of stuff is happening throughout the movie. Uh, and more so even than that, it is the it is the tail end of the cult era. The Jim Jones, the uh, and especially Charles Manson stuff that's that's going on that you get with Jeremiah Sands, mm. I believe is the character's name, Jeremiah something. Um, so I, I, that's why I think it's set in '83 to make it make sense that you've got this traveling crew of like hippie type acid heads because they're like a holdover from that whole era. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it from that point of view at all. That's makes sense to me. I just didn't even bother. To hang on to that much after mm. that, though, because I mean, the, by the time that Nick Cage you know, gets all his shit together and goes on his rampage, you know, like you said, we're over an hour into the film, and mm. basically you have the setup of what happens versus the revenge that happens. Although the revenge is not just spoon-fed to him, you know, he he gets into his truck and he tries to run over that biker dude, but then he loses control and he gets locked mm. up again. Like it, it doesn't follow a standard pattern of. I'm the guy on revenge and it's all going to go my way. It's a, I got to give him a little credit for the writing on this and the, and the script because of that, because he's not allowed to just have an easy walkthrough as the dominant yeah. uh, vengeance master, if you will. In so many ways, this could be a really generic story, a really typical revenge flick. Oh, I got a woman. Oh, she's dead. Oh, I killed the people. Oh, the movie's over. <laughs> but um, it, it does do stuff like that where it, it takes you on these twists and turns or, or like the fact that he kills the psycho bikers first. Like, that's not what you'd expect. They seem like these insurmountable, like, deathless creatures. Like, how is he going to contend with them? And he's like, well, I'm going to fucking deal with them first, which, by the way, Eric just texted he says, I have one note. How did those creatures order Chinese takeout? <laughs> it's a valid question. <laughs> None of them really talk normally. No. Yeah. What, what is a knife dick going to go to the door and he might. Yeah. I don't know. Never know what knife dick. The drippy fellow, Mr. Sud's face. I don't know what's going on with the other guy. He's just like all drippy and like gross. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Those guys are all just out to lunch for me. I, I don't even try to comprehend what's going on there because yeah. comprehending it doesn't really do you any good. You have to just look at it and say, oh, these characters, are they entertaining? Am I in, uh, invested in this film at this point because yeah. of what I'm seeing on screen? And like you said, there's a ton of imagery of course, like we said, the fog and the endless pinkish hues mm -hmm. that are always around. And, of course, the music on this is a big deal. I mean, this music, oh, yeah. the uh, constants. Johan Johansson, uh, acclaimed composer. Yeah, it's yeah. in your – there's also the or the the preamble about, like, your headphones and rock or something. I can't remember what it said. Like, Oh, yeah, bury me with my headphones on. 
um I, I forget what it says but that that whole thing at the front there, there, yeah there's this is like an ode to prog rock metal and the <laughs> uh, 80s and black sabbath and all that kind of stuff and uh, it's, it's, it's a real hodgepodge of a bunch of things happening at once and and hellraiser for that matter like these these four psycho bikers are definitely uh walking hellraiser references it seems to me but also they become significantly more terrifying when bill duke kind of leans in and talks about how they were in exquisite pain and they fucking loved it like how are you gonna deal with these people they, they, one dude gets shot through the neck and he's just kind of like i'm fine i'm gonna keep on doing my, what i'm doing yep <laughs> i'm just watching this car burn it's lovely <laughs> just hanging out um, next to this cigarette for you to pick up later and put in your mouth and smoke. That's right. Yeah. You get Nick Cage's face is plastered in blood and he kills the one guy, uh, just yeah. dumps, dumps all over his face. And, uh, it's some gruesome violence on these kills. You got the chainsaw showdown, the super long boner versus the regular size <laughs> boner chainsaw. Uh, he can't get his started. And then the other guy has, a, not only does he have a chainsaw too, it's like five times longer than that's the right. Yeah, I think you really have to. But you just said now about these elements of, you know, I don't know, black metal, serious type of metal situations, and the lore of certain heavy metal in eighties, late seventies. Uh, you know, like I don't know, like what was that movie? Uh, uh, heavy metal, actually. You know, like a movie. It's yeah. got. Like, I feel like if you don't oh, yeah. have a connection to that type of stuff, that you might be missing something here. And I, I think I just realized that now because you said that. And yeah, no. And I think that the heavy metal, I think, I think is, yeah, I think you're dead on. I think it's literally kind of referencing heavy metal with uh, some of the artwork and that kind of stuff, the, fan, the fantasy scenes, that kind of stuff. Yeah, this is this again. Like, I think there's a real reason why it's set in 83 because that would have been probably. Uh, I'm guessing about the time Panos Cosmatos was probably 13, 14 years old, which is a pretty you know crucial time in a person's life when they're really getting into the stuff. Mm -hmm. And it feels like a big homage to all that and like to the wanton violence that his father put into his films with like Cobra and Tombstone to a degree, even though Kurt Russell kind of took the reins on that <laughs> one. And Sly kind of took the reins on Cobra. <laughs> oh, so George was his dad. Yes. Ah, yes. that's a fun little factoid. Yep. Born into uh, the business. Born into the business. Uh, what else? What else do you want to bring up? Um. Well, let's see. What else do I um, make note of here? Uh, I talked about that. Um, hmm. Richard Brake. I'd like to mention um, this fine performer showing up in this film who uh, I learned from uh, the All-American Spook Show podcast, who those guys have interacted with our show some. Shout out to them. I learned, I listened to their episode about Mandy that apparently when Richard Brake uh, went to film that scene as the as the LSD doctor guy, you know, as the designer drug guy. The tiger guy. That, yeah, he was told that, the, that he was going to have a scene with like, a snake. He's like, oh, I could do that. And then he gets there and it's like, oh, we replaced it with the tiger. He's like, oh, okay. I'll just stand here while this tiger walks around me. But I love that scene so much, the way that his eyes are just completely blown out and that they're clearly communicating telepathically. He's just literally answering questions. Like, and he's like, oh, yeah, okay. Because they're both just like on this other plane, which this is the ultimate LSD movie. If you've never done LSD, also, you might not really... <laughs> 
fully appreciate this film because there's so much about like, because when you're deep into hallucinogens, you're peeking behind the veil and you're seeing things that you're not supposed to see. And like, you're on this whole different level and that's pretty much where this movie takes place. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. A lot of people have probably tried to trip on mushrooms and watch this movie. I'm sure there's been a lot of experiences like that because it's just, again, if you're talking about the two of those characters in that scene with the chemist and Red, where they're telepathically communicating, you know, this movie in a way is is trying to uh, telepathically speak to others who get what's going on here and that they may be able to see more than meets the eye if they were to... uh, enlighten themselves with some yeah. hallucinogens which i get that that makes all the sense of the world i i still think it's funny that uh, a movie like this which could be so obvious in a lot of ways is still just really damn confusing still like it it seems simple <laughs> enough like you said it's a guy is pissed he's bitter you killed his wife and he's so pissed about it but then there's the other things along his journey where like he barely touches that shit whatever that goopy shit is and like as soon as he touches it to his tongue and like the world explodes and this quick yeah. change of the screen happens and it's like whoa it's like is that what it's and like to be those guys that are bikers yes. all the time because remember that's, that's the same stuff that so that's the like the heavy acid that the chemist created to try and fuck them up but it turns out they love it because they love pain and that's this is what jeremiah like buys their service with because when he because when the guy like his jeremiah's number one guy goes and he and he blows that horn of uh, 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 anathax, uh, Athaxis or anor- whatever the fuck. Um, <laughs> the guy comes and he just grabs a mason jar of that shit and just like chugs almost all of it in one go. And uh, <laughs> like wow. if, that, if one drop of that just change it, it seems like it changes. Uh, you know, red the character yeah. of red like it like it changes him into, into like almost a vampire or something like that. Which to me, this movie also has this element. It made me think of Deliverance, the that classic end of Deliverance where he gets home and he's in bed and it's like, well, now what? When Nicholas Cage drives off at the end of this movie, it's like, what the fuck does Red do now? Like, nice. how does he? What kind of life is he going to possibly have now? Is he going to be like one of these fucking psycho bikers or or what? Like he's it's it's so like he it's like he gives up his soul. But that brings me to my next point. How did you feel like about um, how did you feel about the religious commentary happening throughout the film? Yeah, I I thought that was I don't know. I actually don't have a lot on that. It didn't strike me to any particular opinions other than it made sense because you got a cult and you've got religious connotations mixed into that. Although a lot of these cults they're not surrounded by or focused on. Christianity specifically or well, this, Christ. this one was though, right? Yeah, but this or one was, the, so. Yeah, not necessarily Jesus, but, but certainly God. Um, yeah, well, they had that giant cross in that one room. Yeah. That stood out oh, to yeah, me, you're but, right. yeah. but you're right. There's and a lot of God talk. Yeah, and there's the church at the end, which that to me is the most heavy-handed moment, but you got to love it. Like he goes into this church that Jeremiah has built in this awesome location like it's like a quarry or something i don't know where the fuck they filmed this but <laughs> it looks so cool and he goes into their church and he goes up to the pulpit and he grabs the bible looks at it like he's never fucking like he can't even tell what the fuck it is and then just tosses it off to the side mm-hmm. and looks below the pulpit and then there's like this descent into hell like actual hell which is not subtle but it's such awesome imagery and he goes through the whole thing you know and he, and he it doesn't even bother showing him killing that one woman. Just her head rolls, in, <laughs> rolls yeah. into the room. 
Yeah, she's the ultimate right lover. Yes, yeah, like the waves crashing on the shore. Um, and then Jeremiah is like, he pulls out all of the stops of his charisma, which is all about like, I am the mouthpiece of God. Like God speaks through me and like, you are lucky to be able to interact with me. And then he like, you know, <laughs> offers to suck his dick yes. before it's over. And then he becomes defiant again. And it's just like, the skull crunch of a, of an ending of him is so satisfying. Um, it is. You kind of wish that he'd burned or something much longer, but just like that visceral, like I'm crushing a pumpkin thing <laughs> that he does. But, but again, like like just destroying the this false prophet. I am a false prophet. God is a superstition. A superstition. Yeah. Yeah. He. I love that how he totally just tries to manipulate cage in the end there because that's what he's done to everybody else he's manipulated everybody he lives off that but that's not going to happen with red at the end now you've already fucked him over too hard it's like the guy the chemist says like they've wronged you you know it's like <laughs> he's been wrong so brutally that you're not going to change this dude's mind i didn't have much of a response though on the religious aspect of this film though mm -hmm. otherwise i just it made sense to me cults uh spirituality, the inclusion of the LSD, I thought was an excuse for them to try to exploit the opportunities and the savage acts that they carried out. At least it was for mm -hmm. Jeremiah. We don't know. I probably was for a couple of the minions too. Like that one guy he really relies on. That guy's a sick fuck. So he probably yeah. was happy to be a part of this uh, little tribe they had. But yeah, nothing else stood out to me in the religion of the film for me. Gotcha. Yeah. Did you pick up on the importance of the t-shirt, the 44 t-shirt? I did not. Took me a few. Took me a few viewings. So I would. There's like. I remember like. I don't know. Like the third time I watched the movie, I'm like, oh, it's so funny. He's screaming, "You ripped my shirt!" To that one guy, like he's just like suddenly upset about his shirt. You ripped my shirt. You ripped my shirt. <laughs> uh, when he's fighting the drippy face psycho biker. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, like I don't know, the fourth or fifth time I watched it, I was like, oh wait a minute. So this is the shirt that he's wearing at the opening of the movie, and then he takes it off, and then so that's the shirt that she's wearing. Oh, uh, when, they to, when they go to bed together. That's right. But it's also, the, but then we have this flashback at the end of the movie when they, of like when they first met and it's the shirt he was wearing when they first met too. Oh. Uh, so it's like, it has this, and that's another, again, like it's, that's the way the movie works. Like it's, they don't hit you over the head necessarily with this stuff. There's like this, there's this history being built. There's like this whole story being plugged in and you got to pay attention. And even still, you kind of need to go back and watch it more than once. Yeah, you sure do. I, I just, right over my head too much going on here you know this this epic it's like synthy stuff with classic rock mixed into it's a weird yeah. if you start to think about it if you're a real music nerd you're like wow there's like a couple of genres kind of being uh tossed around from point mm -hmm. to point in this film but it all makes sense to me i mean i really love the music i love the score it's a very uh without the score i imagine a lot of these scenes would probably seem a lot different frankly than mm. if they weren't there at all it's a really slick score and you're right. It, it's like, it's, it, and it's persistent throughout the film. It's very prevalent. You like the Carpenters? It's, I got American Psycho <laughs> vibe for a second when he's doing that. Like, oh, yeah. we put out Huey Lewis? What's going on? <laughs> so let's talk quickly about um, her death scene and how she knows exactly what he wants from her. She's completely fucked up with that awful like thing, the, the cherry on top, the stab in the neck with that 
animal yeah, with that whatever that was wasp that's living the worst life possible in a big jug of goo. Ugh. Um, but um, he like you could tell like so. There's this is uh, the woman that does the Russian roulette for him to just approve to Red of all people like that that you know the what love, love is. She probably got the same exact fucking speech that Mandy got. She probably got the same exact treatment with the hallucinogens and the whole bit. And then she like took the bait and was like, yes, okay, amazing. I will suck your cock and you are an amazing God and all this ah. stuff. And Mandy is not buying it. You know, she's, she knows exactly what he wants, which is awe. So she does what she knows will hurt him the most, which is laugh <laughs> at him, laugh at his nakedness, knack at, laugh, laugh at his, or laugh at his like, hu- you know, his hubris, which hubris, he fucking just leaves red hanging out there. Like he's not, this guy's not a threat to me. Uh, yeah, he's he's gonna be a threat to you. Yeah, <laughs> that scene where she's behind the glass or whatever she's in there, and everybody's on their drug, and the vocals, <laughs> and just the length of that scene too. Like they really take the. I, I gotta give them credit. I mean, sometimes people they cut through things quickly in a film and pace, pace, pace. There's a lot of talk about that. But obviously, this is not one of those films. We've covered that already. It, this film's deliberate in its attempts to really get you to understand how painful it has been for Red to lose his yeah. wife. Like, the, it isn't just, hey, she's dead, right? It's much more than that. Am I still yeah, here? and that gets... Um, your audio is, but your video is frozen. Are you? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear everything fine. It's very strange. I'm not yeah, sure. We'll just, no one knows. Go ahead, continue. Let's keep it going, I guess. Um, but yeah, that, that goes back to the whole water and fire thing. That she is what he needs, like to live, basically. Um, so they've done more than just like take his wife, or, you know, his lover from him. They've taken his reason for existence and his reason for not just wantonly. I don't, I don't think he just kill, kill, kill like people that didn't deserve it, but he's a rough dude and he could do rough things. <laughs> the way she's laughing at him is goes. That really got me to laugh. I laughed at that part. The way she was just constantly <laughs> taunting and laughing at him inside of that glass little place. She was in it made me laugh. I, even though I knew uh, these were probably very serious stakes. It, it was just so funny. Sometimes what stuff is. You keep referring. What glass? Isn't she behind the glass? She's not just like sitting there, right? They're in that no, like. No, she, there's no glass no, there. Just, they're in the living room. Yeah, they're in the living room. It seems like she. I thought she was encased in like a, you know, like a glass room. It seemed like so. Why, maybe why would they have that. I don't know. Oh, why you they mean like that. you mean where the bed was? Like where? No, just where they had her sitting there while they were trying to do their spiel to convince her to be part of, you know, his yeah, it could have, thingy. It, maybe she actually is. And it's like a, uh, an intended effect or something. Could be. That, I never, I never noticed that, but maybe, you know, so I'm not saying it's not there, but I think it's not like supposed to be there. Yeah. It doesn't you matter. Know what I, mean? I just laughed my ass off when she was laughing that way. <laughs> it's just yeah, she's like stuck on her face. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I love the way that the, the, the camera like, like is on their faces. So fixed perfectly. And it like, goes back and forth like that merges their faces into one again like uh sh- like such a good job of showing how acid works <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's we a good point <laughs> <laughs> yeah um well yeah anything else 
Um, I think I think we could about wrap it up. I mean, I you know I could go on for a while about this and just kind of like talk about more of my favorite scenes. But if you've seen the movie, you know you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, I I do think that um, yeah to go ahead and go ahead and get into my my final thoughts. I guess on this film is that for one, home invasion movies have always scared the shit out of me. And this is like the ultimate home invasion movie because it's so disturbing and wild. And honestly, like these four psychos, the psycho bikers, they could have easily, like Jeremiah and his group easily could have done this all without them. The Panos Cosmatos could have written this movie and the co-writer, whose name escapes me, could have written this movie and not included them. They're not necessary, but they add so much just with their like presence and they elevate the movie to such a weird, spooky kind of point, and that's you know that's what I love about this movie. There's it's there, like it there's it's just an amalgamation of late seventies, early eighties vibes, and you know all, all the cultural touch points that we were talking about, and even the production company that put it out, SpectraVision, like they're not a normal company. They're they're crowdsourced. They they do it like everything they do is um, like the money is raised by the crowd. And it's just um, it's just a different way of making a movie, a different kind of movie, and uh, it helped push Nick Cage into like I've I've always been a Nick Cage fan, but I really became obsessed in this you know with his resurgence in the last five years or so, and this is partly what made me realize like I've been sleeping on what a great actor this guy is. So it really holds a really special place in my heart. It's it's one of my favorite films of the past. 10 years easily and uh i knew it was going to hold up when i went in i just wanted to talk about one of my favorite horror movies for halloween as you're right sir you deserve as that my right. That's, right. that's right um this movie has a lot of images that you could have a hard time getting out of your mind because it'll really stick with you so the movie making is powerful here the uh <sighs> I think maybe the casting in certain roles maybe could have been improved a little bit. I don't know. Uh, not Nick Cage, of course, and Jeremiah. That's fine. I don't have any beef with how he portrayed the character because he played it to what it was supposed to be. Um, there was a lot of the first 30, 35 minutes really struggled for me to like know what was going on, but not even that because like, it doesn't matter what's going on as much. More to the point that I am trying to watch a movie because of why right now. More, more. I was trying to think of this whenever I, we do a movie on this show. Beyond that it was selected, why would I watch this movie? I always think about mm-hmm. that. And I I think question. that this movie has it has different properties in different situations. You, know, you talking about it with your passion for the movie, I admit freely, it like... It gets me more into it, and it it draws more interest out of me. I also said this is a movie that has to be watched twice. Now, Mm -hmm. I truly believe that with this film. It absolutely has to be watched more than once. So that's something I'm definitely going to do. I'm going to watch the movie again because I need to give it another go because I think it's truly a requirement for this film. That's my opinion. I really see it that way. I think you're right. So for the time being, I, I feel like it's an incomplete. Because there's something ah. more I need to understand. So, it's cop out. Don't make me the only one. I I just think that right now, if I have to choose, it doesn't hold up for me right now because Never mind. there was Never mind. too Take many times. <laughs> there was too many times where I was just not into the film. But 
it's so divided between two segments, really, like the the pre and the post, yeah. that I really enjoyed the post a lot more. I really did. You know, Nick Cage huffing that <laughs> just a massive amount of cocaine or whatever the fuck oh, that was. So funny. <laughs> it's just, there's so many nonchalant things he does once he's broken yeah. free of... Because that's something we didn't talk about either. Like, I didn't realize that he might have been an alcoholic at all. I really wish I would have understood yeah. that a little bit more clearly because it seems like he broke free of the bonds of a kind of a confinement in his life. Yeah, that's, that's you know? the thing. Like, she was, she was suppressing this wild side of him that he badly needed suppressed. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. and, and it's also, I'm glad you bring it up because it's a much funnier movie than we've kind of let on about it. It's, it's there's some pretty comedic <laughs> moments. It totally Nick Cage hilarious as shit doing special things that he does which are not over the top they're just the really good comedic timing and then the sense of the situation it would actually make sense because this guy you know these are people that are on a level that a lot of us probably cannot understand frankly if you're going to try to be yeah. more direct and uh, I don't know crystal clear about it so yeah yeah I, right now i want i really do want to watch it again for the time being it doesn't hold up but i say it's a two-time watch i don't think i've ever said this about a movie i truly mean it with this film and i'm gonna stick to it that's my opinion so all right we'll, we'll revisit it don't not next week give it some time but revisit it and let us know i absolutely will it'll be something that i'll bring up again in the show of course because this yeah. is the show where yeah. we talk yeah. about movies it's the Cinema Nine podcast. It's the Cinema Nine podcast. I'm really glad you brought it to the show, though. It was definitely worth watching. No question about it. And uh, I can't wait to watch it again. In a way, I am actually excited now because maybe I'll have a better understanding. Yeah, it, it it does take patience that first half, but I've liked it more each time I watch it. So maybe you will too. I just gotta stay true to, you know, I I start talking about it with you and I'm having fun, but I gotta remember what it was like for me to watch it when I watched it. And I, it, yeah, that's all. But. Uh, it was fun. All right. Well, let's uh, talk about Eric's pick for next week. Oh, I'd love to hear this. Witchy Tytow, Gimara, Gimara, Warnica, Yes. Sleepers? That's right. We're doing Sleepers from 1996. I can't believe <laughs> someone happening. else picked this movie. Wow. <laughs> it's finally happened. I, was, I almost picked it a bunch of times, too. Was even before we ever fucking started making the jokes about that scene, I, I had this on like the early list of movies for us. I've, it's always been on all of our radars. So it's time we finally did it after talking about it for like, I don't know, 50 episodes at least. Yeah. Um, I've seen this movie so many times. So I don't think I've really looked at it through how we do the show. We'll see if it's different or not. I really, really remember watching this movie a lot when it came out on VHS and I'd watch it. It really reminds me of like us. I, Sleepers was a movie that a lot of us knew in our crew and we would reference, even if it was a terribly unpleasant film yes. uh, in terms of its subject matter. So. Yeah, let's get together and do like a Sleepers and 8mm back to back. It may have happened somewhere, but okay, cool, Sleepers. All right. Yeah, yeah. Wow. All right. I'll and, watch uh, it that's... while I'm on my flight to Arizona. I go to Arizona on Thursday and uh, that'll be perfect. Travel. Yeah. There you go. And we'll uh, we'll get together next week and talk about it. So yay! We'll see you all okay, uh, that's it. No Mandy Bye. quotes. So long. Um, where's my Mandy quote? I, <laughs> I don't know. Where's your Mandy? Here, I got I got one. I got a Mandy quote. Hang on. I see the rat. I, I see the Reaper fast approaching. When she says that, like, yeah. <laughs>